0: From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Amen. So here we are, still in the season of Advent, one flick of a power switch and all of these lights would be on, but that is not the day that we have before us today, because here we are still on this final day of a season of anticipation and preparation, and yet I find myself still asking... What exactly are we preparing for? This is the question I posed to our youngest children last week in Children's Chapel. What exactly are we preparing for in this season of Advent? Children's Chapel is a glorious space. The youngest among us are wise and gentle, and willing to see what is possible in our world in a way that is humble and hopeful. If you've not been in that space with us, either Children's Chapel or the Atrium, I invite you to join us one week and to hear for yourself the wisdom of generations. So the question was put forth to our children in that sacred space— What are we preparing for? And what are we anticipating in this season of Advent? And don't say Santa, because I don't want to hear it. (laughs) And so joyfully, of course, they yell, Santa! And laughter fills the room. Presents, they proclaim. We are anticipating presents. More laughter as I give an audible grimace. They so enjoy pushing my buttons, and that's not a hard thing to do, so it's an easy win for them. No, no, I said, that is not what we as Christians are anticipating, but keep going. There was silence for a minute or two before the children, trying their best to please the teacher, Shouted out, "Jesus! We're waiting on Jesus. We're preparing for Jesus." OK, maybe a little closer to right, but I am sure there is something more. So we sat for a moment longer, and someone said, "Jesus' birthday. We are preparing to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And then one little girl. Wise little girl says, Well, actually, probably not. <laughs> more than likely, she says with an astute assurance, more than likely, Jesus was born in April. <laughs> Someone has been listening. So, what are we as Christians preparing for? It is a good question for all of us at any age, because if it is not the presence or Santa, or maybe even as this young child suggests, not even the birthday of Jesus that we are preparing for, what are we anticipating? What are we? preparing for as Christians. Mary herself had grown up in a culture of anticipation. Mary has been listening throughout her childhood to the stories in Scripture, to the prophets pointing to the one who would be born, the one who would liberate and rule the kingdom to come. She had herself heard the very song she's about to sing, the one we hear today called the Magnificat. This song was sung for generations before Mary. This song was sung by Hannah, proclaiming the kingdom and deep gratitude for being a part of it a thousand years before Mary and Elizabeth. Mary, too, had grown up anticipating And preparing. And yet, I have to wonder as we consider what we are preparing for today is what the angel proclaimed to Mary what she was anticipating? Was she preparing her whole life to birth into the world this man, Jesus? Did she prepare to labor into the world? the Christ child? Was the teenage Mary prepared for this work of God to begin within her own body? For us, these women, Mary, Elizabeth, and Hannah, are the image and models of what Naomi spoke of last week, of being citizens of a world that does not yet exist but one which demands of us sacrifice, which is to give up our idea of what we think is coming and to actively embody and birth what is called forth. With this ancient song, Mary and Elizabeth are singing a world into being. They are now fully embodying a world promised to them by the prophets. And so, perhaps, it is with us as well. Perhaps, this too is what we are preparing for during Advent. We are preparing to not only be engaged citizens of a world that does not yet exist, but to let that work be in not only our minds, but to continue within our very bodies. The song of the generations that Hannah and now Mary and Elizabeth embody is a song that tells the story of the work of God. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This song sings into being a world I dare say no one expects. A world where the hungry are filled and the high are made low, where everything thought powerful to humankind is subverted, turned upside down because the kingdom of God is at hand. And this song has been sung for so long, for thousands of years. And so the cynic in me asks, How long, dear Lord, how long? How long do we wait? How long do we anticipate the world where the hungry are fed and the powerless empowered? We've all heard it said, I'm sure, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. This beautiful image, when we really consider that humans have been anticipating liberation from oppressors since before Hannah sang, when we truly consider that long arc of thousands of years of singing this song, The question of when that arc will fully bend towards true justice is justified. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke the words of the moral arc of the universe bending toward justice to an audience waiting for that bending. And he borrowed those words from another prophetic voice a hundred years before him who was also anticipating These words that King famously spoke originally came from a sermon delivered in 1853 by an abolitionist minister, Theodore Parker. In that sermon, Parker says, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one, my eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by experience of sight. I can only divine it by conscience. And from what I know, I am sure it bends toward justice. King and Parker also sang a song like Hannah, Mary, and Elizabeth of gratitude for a world they could not yet see, but that they knew they had an active role in birthing. So indeed, the moral arc of the universe would not be bent toward justice in all of these generations if these willing humans did not see themselves as active within its bending. All of them were called to birth forth the world possible, and all of them were called to great sacrifice, and all of them still said yes. They said yes with no assurance that they would see the end of the ark, that they themselves would live in that world that they were birthing. They said yes because they had read the scripture and the scripture had prepared them to have hope that the world they could divine with their conscience, not with their sight, was possible that it was in fact God's promise. And they all believed they had gifts to offer. Gifts to offer the birthing of that promised possible world and that their bodies were necessary for its fulfillment. They anticipated, they prepared, and they engaged in birthing forth the kingdom of God. And Hannah and Mary and Elizabeth, as they said yes, had no idea of the sacrifice they were in fact making. But they were prepared to say yes and to sacrifice for its birthing. And so in this time of Advent, on the eve of the celebration of the way God becomes incarnate in the world, we can see how God also calls us to consider our active role in birthing forth the world that does not yet exist but that we have been promised. Our work in Koinonia is a work of birthing forth the world the prophet spoke of. This work is one of subversion, where the low are made high and the hungry are made full. Our work with racial equity is a work we have said yes to. The work of building equity, of engaging in the bending of the moral arc of the universe, of living out the gospel call is our work, and as we all know, it will require sacrifice. And what it will require us to sacrifice first is our idea of what the work looks like. Saying yes to this work of koinonia will require we sacrifice our notion that the work is about fixing the other. That the work begins in another community and not our own, in another church and not our own. That the work is in another's body and not our own. Our work requires us to sacrifice the impulse to see the problem as something outside of us, and to instead turn our focus towards self. Rather than saying, what are we doing, we are called to ask, who are we becoming? Rather than asking what needs to be fixed in the world around us, we are called to ask what needs to be reconciled within our very bodies. We are called to engage in the bending of the moral arc of the universe. We must first bend our wills toward the will of God, as Hannah and Mary and Elizabeth do. God is indeed made incarnate in Jesus, but if we are prepared to make this koinonia work personal, If we are willing to make this work deeply embodied work as Hannah and Mary and Elizabeth did, God will also be incarnate in our bodies as we bend toward justice, in our voices as we say yes, in our tears as we sacrifice and grieve, and in our hands as we engage this work. The question is, are we willing to make this work personal? Are we willing to make this about our bodies? Are we willing to see that the work of God begins not outside, but within us? Are we prepared to welcome the incarnate God in this deeply personal work we have said yes to? This is what we hear in the scripture that we are preparing for in this season of Advent We are preparing to sing the world that does not yet exist into being. We are preparing to make this gospel justice koinonia work personal, deeply embodied, as Hannah, Mary, and Elizabeth do. And then, as we actively bend that moral arc toward the justice we seek, We are preparing to proclaim the glory of God with our whole bodies. Amen.